Hey Church of the Beloved, thanks for tuning in to our weekly sermon podcast. My name is Kevin Zoe and I'm the production manager here at COTV. Today's message is brought to us by Senior Pastor Clint Shamblin. He is preaching from John chapter 1, verses 35 through 51. Good morning, church. Uh, if you are visiting us, you are newer. I am Clint. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, this would normally be the time, since I have this stage and the microphone, that I would get back at Abe for all his slights that he had against me. But Pastor Abe is not here, and it feels really weak to try to get at him that he's visiting probably online with us, as I know they are in San Francisco. Uh, so I-, I will reserve all my, my hater energy until he is with us, and then I will unleash it all on him when he comes back. Uh, but Pastor Abe and Suzette will be with us next week. Uh, today we continue Advent, and this is sort of our Christmas service. I say sort of, we have a choir, we have more pomp and circumstance. And if you grow up in the church, uh, again, the Advent reading and those sorts of things and the lighting, um, I say sort of because next week we're going to be having our Christmas service on Christmas Day. Now, if today is any indication, next week is going to be cold and we are holding it outside. And many of you are wondering, why do that? It's Chicago. Here's why. I'll I'll give you a little insight to it. Uh, One, I had the joy of going over to Europe and visiting during the time of Easter and doing a trip over there for missions. And during that time, you would walk down the street, and as you walked down the street, churches would come out, they would hand you bulletins, they'd hand you pamphlets, and you just kind of got raptured up in a gathering. All of a sudden, you were part of a church service on Easter, and you sang, and there was a, a homily or a short sermon. And it was very, very cool. It was very, very great. It's very, very public. Now, I encourage you all, we will be next week meeting at uh, Washington Square Park. Uh, I'm not going to give the nickname because I can't do it. I just, I can't do what Pastor Abe did. Uh, it feels weird being behind, like I'm about to preach, and it just feels weird to me to give it its nickname. Uh, that is something about Moody, um, be there with us and come out and enjoy. It's going to be 30 minutes. It's very public. It's very communal. We'll be doing a, a short sermonette, singing a couple songs, getting some hot cocoa and some coffee. We'll have hand warmers for you. Uh, and anybody else is in the park, we'll do so. And we might even go get some lunch afterwards together. So I encourage you to be there. But in lieu of that, since many of us will be traveling or on break or back home, this is sort of our service today to do so. Now, today, I want to talk about hope being stored up. We've gone through hope. We've defined hope as the assurance of something that is seen and yet to be seen. We've talked about how assurance must be something that we already have. It can't be, fingers crossed, I pray for good things in the future. It must be good handled now. Pastor Abe last week continued the understanding of hope, that it is real, it is tangible, it is not a memory, it is not something that is distant from us, but something that is near to us. Today, I want to talk about where our hope is ultimately stored. Because if you and I were to look around the world today, we would not say that we have the assurance of the world perfect right now. If you think the world right now is as good as it gets, I have some questions for you. I hope you are not satisfied with this world. I hope that you long for something else. And today, I want to talk about that something else. We have assurance of something that is with us, and yet we look forward to a day in which we have something more. I want to talk about where our hope is stored up. See, because as John starts talking, as we read through John, uh, John's 
lack of a better term, John's out there. John's unlike any other gospel accounts. Normally we read through the gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and it seems very clinical. It seems very linear. It seems very pushed through A to B to C to D. If you read Paul in the epistles, uh, it's very linear logic, very linear argumentation. And we get to John, and John is all over the place. See, for John, what he cares most about is rich, complex theology, as well as telling a narration of the actual Christ. Uh, John is kind of given a bad rap. Uh, he calls himself, basically, he calls himself Jesus' best bud. Uh, he's like, oh, yeah, I'm like, like, we're best friends. Uh, and all the other disciples are like, what's up with us? We're chopped liver. And John's like, yes, I'm better than you. Uh, but he really was really, 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 really close as a brother to Jesus. It's true. At the same time, when we read John, this theology and the assurance of who the Messiah is uh, actually kind of fits our culture today. If you look at the other gospel accounts, they're very linear. It's kind of like Captain's Log. It's kind of like Star Trek. Anybody, when I say Captain's Log, y'all probably don't know anything about that. I know. I understand. But think if you were uh, to go on a mission to Mars or something like that, and every day you had to wake up, uh, 7 a.m. wake up, ate a bagel, untoasted, because that's the way you're supposed to eat bagels, um, coffee, 7.05, and you go through, and it's very, very sequential. It's very, very orderly. John gets up and he's like, all right, Captain's Log, let's sit down and buckle up. Here we go. And he just starts telling his thoughts, his inner feelings. They're all true. They're all God's word, but it's not a captain's log. So when we come to this interaction today, when we come to understand what John is saying to us, I want to encourage you with something. He is telling us truths about Christ that a dear, trusted, intimate friend would tell stories of you. If I was to ask you how your day is going and we have a relationship that's more acquaintance, you would say, oh, my day's good. I went to work, I came home, I cooked dinner. You would, you would report to me, more than likely. And that's, reporting is good. I, I, I want to understand your world. I want to understand what you do for work. But if your best friend was to ask you, how's your day today? You go, oh, it was rough. You wouldn't report to them. You would have rapport with them. You would talk about your feelings. That's they're not less true, and it's not less accurate. It's just a different temperature, a different tone. So when we read about Nathaniel, as we're going to come to find out, read it through the lens of the dearly beloved friend of Christ who is speaking about his dear, dear friend, closer than a brother. And as we come to Nathaniel, what I hope you see today is that the hope of Christmas is stored up for us in the heaven that is to come. The hope that is stored up for us is in the heaven to come. And how I want to do that, how I want to show you that today, this vivid, complex picture of who Christ is, I want to show you Nathaniel, and he has three interactions with Jesus, essentially. He says what this hope is to come, where it is stored up, and how it changes your heart. What is this hope to come, where it's stored up, and how it changes your heart? And the last announcement I'll do before we jump into it. Um, we have friends here, brothers and sisters here, who care a great deal about the World Cup. If you are watching on your phone, put the phone away. <laughs> if you are keeping updated on it, don't spoil it. There is one person in particular who may go to jail if you spoil the score, so please, don't do that. 
I'm not going to out Shane because he's a, a dear friend, but please keep it there. Okay, that's my last announcement. Let's get into it. First, we're going to talk about where this hope or what is this hope stored up. And we talked before that Christmas has this hope, this understanding of the assurance that, that once we have Christ's love, we should become insanely, objectively not anxious people. Uh, many of us are traveling or going back and seeing family, and I've asked many of you how you, do you like your in-laws? Do you like your family? Do you like going back home? And some people will answer, ah, kind of. Are you excited to go home? Well, what do you mean by excited? I'm looking forward to it, but I have to, and all of a sudden you start talking about how you have to change or what conversations are, are good conversations or bad conversations to have. The Christian hope is the assurance of something that can never be taken from you. It makes us insanely less anxious people. It makes us calm people. It makes us collected people. At minimum, the Christian faith decidedly says of us that we cannot be people who lose our minds over situations. Decidedly. We can become sad, we become distressed, we can become discouraged, but we cannot lose our heads, lose our minds over situations because we know the ultimate hope is stored up in Christ. This hope that we have in Christ, I, I want to ask you, uh, where is it ultimately found? And, and what I want to ask you about that and how it's defined is I want to look at Nathaniel, his interaction with Christ. See, because Christ in Roman culture uh, was a, a bit of a oddity. They didn't know what to do with Jesus. As a matter of fact, I would like to suggest to you that even today, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, our family that aren't Christian, they don't know what to do with Jesus either. They have no clue. See, when Nathaniel hears of Jesus, he has a certain reaction. He, he interacts with this Jesus. Jesus says, come and see. And Nathaniel, he has, this, he has this instant response. And it's a response that I dare say a lot of people that we know, and maybe even you, have a response to who Jesus is because they don't know what to do with him. See, Jesus is a self-proclaimed, either there's, there's two things about Jesus. Either he is Messiah and Lord and God incarnate or he should be thrown out and never, ever discussed ever. Not one time. Now, why do I say that? Because as you interact with Jesus, he, he's, he both invites us and both cuts us. He both encourages us and challenges us. He's both a friend near and dear. He loves us so much that he's willing to do anything, including come against all of our presuppositions and assumptions about life and how we are supposed to live. He did that in Rome, and as we're going to find out from Nathaniel, and he does that today. Uh, and and let, me, let me try to show this to you. Uh, when you go home, when you have Christmas, uh, as your name is read on the Christmas presents or on the cards, how do people know you? How do, what is your identifying remarks to your friends, to your neighbors, to your coworkers, to your family, to those that know you best? Do you have a nickname that people call you? Uh, do you have a pet name? Do you, have, do you have a shortened name? If I was to introduce you to my friends, how would I introduce you? Would I say, oh, uh, here's, here's John, and he's an accountant, a doctor, a student, a uh, a party animal, uh, an introvert, uh, a one on the Enneagram. How, how would people introduce you? Or how are you known? What's your namesake? Uh, see, it's very weird. Um, people have no clue what to call me. 
Um, they have no idea. Some people understand. All of a sudden, I say I'm a, uh, I work at a church, and they're like, "Oh, Father, yes, how you doing?" I'm like, "Nope, I don't, I don't got the collar, wrong one." And they're like, "Priest?" I'm like, "No, nah, keep going." Uh, they're like, "Pastor?" I'm like, uh, "Okay, sure, getting close." Uh, here we have the culture of understanding. It's uh, it, we go P. Clint or P. Abe. It's it's like shortened. It's just enough respect to not be irreverent. But like not a too much respect that it's like high on a mountain. It's like the perfect amount. It's, it's ideal. Uh, when I get my doctorate, I'm going to demand you guys call me doc. For this reason only, I want to screw with medical students that show up. You call me doc and they're like, wait, what? <laughs> that's, when I do, I'm going to demand it. And if you don't, well, that's fine. It's okay. No one's actually going to do it. How are you known? How are you understood by your family and friends and coworkers and people? Do you have a nickname? What do we call you? See, when John introduces Christ to people, he uses a, a, a nickname, he uses a, a phrase. He says, this is the Lamb of God. Now, Lamb of God, that's, that's very odd. That's very high. That's very, that's very classy. Lamb of God. It's longer than Jesus. It's more reverent. It's more respectable. It's a title. No one else is called Lamb of God. And actually, as a matter of fact, you go through all the, the pages in the Old Testament, it's continually repeated, Lamb of God, Lamb of God, Lamb of God. This is the Messiah that's promised to us. So that's how John introduces them. Then we come to Nathaniel. We come to other people. When John introduces his best friend, his most dear brother, he says, this is the Lamb of God. When he comes to other people, what do they call him? What's up, Rabbi? Uh, you guys have those professors in college that you called teach? Instead of professor, what's up, teach? And they'd be like the cool ones that weren't very cool at all. Uh, that'd be me if I taught at a, at a seminary or something like that. I would try to be cool, but I wouldn't be at all. It's, it's this sign, again, it's this kind of middle ground of I, I want to give you respect, but I don't want to give you reverence respect. So Nathaniel meets him, and everybody else meets him, and they go, hey, rabbi, hey, teacher, hey, priest, hey, pastor. It's this kind of common, mundane language. But that's not who Jesus claims to be, is it? See, I think a lot of the problems that we have with Jesus is that we, not explicitly, and actually not on purpose, church, but we demean Jesus a little bit by making him more common, more mundane than he really is. And as a matter of fact, we're going to find out he allows us to do it, which is insane to me. But when Jesus is, is there, when he interacts with them, when he comes to people, he actually does this later on. He'll ask the disciples, who do you say I am? And they're like, oh, no, what do we answer? How do we answer that? And they might say, well, you know, it's, uh, many people think that um, you're, you're a, a prophet reincarnate. You're one of the, the Old Testament heroes. And they go down this list of who they think he is, and then one disciple finally peeps up and says, you're Messiah. And he goes, ah, that's it. See, the first thing we need to understand about Jesus is this understanding of Lamb of God versus Rabbi. Because a lot of people today think that Jesus is a good moral teacher, don't they? They don't have a problem with Jesus. He teaches good things, service, give of your money, give of your time, be kind, golden rule, love others as you want to be treated. Okay, this is great. I, I can agree with this in totality. If you were to teach half of the scriptures the population of the world would have no problem with Jesus. They would have no, no problem with him. Why? How, uh, as Tim Keller puts it, uh, how can you have a problem with Mr. Rogers? 
It's like, won't you be my neighbor? You don't even know who Mr. Rogers is. Go watch the documentary. Tom Hanks starred in it. Go watch it. It's this cuddly, nice, kind, neighborly person that has a cardigan and slippers. And he doesn't ever say anything mean or harsh or direct. Uh, he's got a subtle tone voice. It's like grandpa reading you a, a bedtime story. That's what the world typically thinks of Jesus. He's a moral teacher. He's a good teacher. He's, he's a great teacher. We should follow him. And then he says something like, I'm the lamb of God. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> That's hyperbolic. That's exaggerative. Come on, Jesus. Come on, tone down a little bit. See, what Jesus is saying, and he'll later say it on when he meets at the final couple verses that was, were read to us. He says, Nathaniel is impressed by Jesus. We're going to get to that in a moment. But he says, if you were impressed by what I said to you, you have no idea what's to come. Because I'm the son of man, I'm the lamb of God. Angels will be ascending and descending on me. Real quick, church. Do you have any idea what that looks like? If I was to say, angels ascending and descending, you're like, oh, I can kind of picture that. I can't. I don't know what we mean by that. I don't know exactly what Jesus means. I, it's, it's very, very artistic. It's very, very creative. It's very, very, very not linear. It's complex. It's rich. It's deep. But the point that Jesus wants to get across and the point that I want to get across to you today is if you think Jesus is a nice story, a Christmas story about giving and sacrifice and time and money, you've missed the Lamb of God. Because what he says is, I'll have angels descending and ascending upon me. And whatever that means, whatever that looks like, all I know is this. His DNA, who he is as a person, his true identity to his friends, to his neighbors, to his family, everybody knows him as such, is not rabbi, good teacher, moral guy. That's not who Jesus is. Church, if that's who you think Jesus is, you've missed him. That's who your friends think he is. They've missed him. Because what he's actually saying is, I'm the one on which angels ascend and descend. I'm the host of hosts. I'm the Alpha. I'm the Omega. I'm the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Christ Almighty Messiah, Savior. The first thing we have to understand about hope, what is this hope? Church, it's heavenly hope. It's unlike anything we've ever experienced. It's unlike anything that's native or natural to us. It's not us. It's heavenly. You got angels dancing up and down on the guy. I don't know what that means. That's crazy. And yet that's who Jesus says he is. So my first point is this. As we understand hope, as we come to see Christ and Christmas and hope incarnate, I want you to understand we are dealing with a megaton of energy that is heavenly in nature, not fleshly. He became flesh, but his DNA is heaven. He is eternally hope, not popular hope. Maybe here's another way of putting it. If you have a, a system of life, if you have a system of thought, if you have beliefs that Jesus doesn't confront and say that is dead wrong, you don't have Christ of heaven, you have Christ of earth. You don't have Christ of heaven, you have Christ of earth. Because when he came, he came against every single thing the world was for. That's why Rome had no idea what to do with the guy. 
They're like, well, he's not bad. He's not awful. He's not murdering and, and going on a killing spree. He's, a, he's, he's Mr. Roger. He's in a cardigan and slippers. And yet, he confronts every aspect of our belief and says the deep theological question when we come to Jesus and we make a statement about faith. He goes, really? Do you confront Jesus as though he is some earthly hero, some moral teacher, or Lamb of God incarnate? That's the first point. That's the type of hope. That's where the hope. The second point is this. Who can access this storage of hope? If the hope is heavenly, if it's something otherworldly, who can have access to it? See, Nathaniel has this very, very curious interaction. I've, I've alluded to it a couple times, but when he comes, John says, this is the Lamb of God, and Christ himself says, I have angels ascending and descending upon me. And then there comes Nathaniel. Now, this is very curious. This is very interesting to us. And, and I think you and I can glean a lot from this. Nathaniel comes up and he says, hey, teach. Hey, Rabbi, how you doing? Yeah, I heard some good things about you. My, my friends were talking. My community was talking. I'm coming to check you out. And Christ sees him coming up. And it's very interesting what he says. Jesus says, ah, Nathaniel. <laughs> In, this is a true Israelite. In him there is nothing false. Now that's, some radar should be going off in your head right now. You should be questioning, that seems odd, that seems very weird, because you should be saying, hey pastor, I, I remember you saying a couple weeks ago that there's no one good, no not one. Jesus seems to be sitting here and saying, hey, here's a true Israelite, in him there is nothing false. And you go, ha, see, goodness. Don't these two things contradict? No. Okay, next point. No, I'll explain a little bit more. No, it doesn't contradict. Here's what I mean, that it doesn't contradict anything. Because he's communicating something to Nathaniel. He's saying something to him. As a matter of fact, the people that I read, the, the understanding of it is this. I, look, sometimes in Bible study, we like to get kind of deep in the weeds. Like when Jesus says, I saw you under the fig tree, and we go, what was happening under the fig tree? And our kind of ears perk up. And we're like, let's get out of the fig tree. And the fig tree means this. And all of a sudden we go Dan Brown on it. And we try to like understand all this weird code and all this weird understanding. Can I encourage you with something? If we needed to know what he was doing under the fig tree, you know what Jesus would have done? He would have explained what he was doing under the fig tree. If we needed to know, Nathaniel, what are you doing over there? What's going on? Jesus would have made it complete and sufficient for us to know. The fact that he didn't clues me into something. Whatever happened, I don't need to know. That's the first one I want you to understand. He's communicating something about Nathaniel to him and to us. Because when he says, I saw you under the fig tree, this is an Israelite in which there is nothing false. It doesn't contradict something. As a matter of fact, I think, and I think what Jesus understands from Nathaniel's response Look at his response. How do I know it doesn't contradict that there's no one good, no, not one? Look at Nathaniel's response. Uh, I'm a big documentary fan. I love documentaries. And just this week I found out um, government just released a whole lot of data on ex-presidents and CIA stuff, and people are just piling through all this redacted material, and they're going deep dive on it. Uh, I love watching documentaries on the moon landing. Because my favorite conspiracy theory is that we didn't land on the moon. Uh, it's my favorite conspiracy theory of all. Even more than flat earth. Like, that one's fun, too. If you're a flat earther, come talk to me. Like, we need to have an embrace. <laughs> if you don't think we landed on the moon, okay, stay with me for a second. 
I love these documentaries because everybody's like, oh, you can see the strings. Look at the shadows. Look at the casting where the, the ship landed and these strings. And people will say in these documentaries, well, you know, we were fighting against USSR and the communists and we needed to get to the moon first. And so we faked getting there to give us a sense of pride in America and exceptionalism, yada, yada, yada. And I go, that's a lot of information to take. I don't know if we land. I, I can't talk about strings and shadows of things. I'm not that smart. However, I, it seems to me that as I hear from astronauts, I watch video of flights going off of pads and up into the atmosphere. As I see museums and pictures and telescopes and I interact with those who interact, it seems enough for me that I can take the eyewitness account, the response of others to signify I wasn't born when the moon landing happened. I wasn't around. I had no clue. I didn't see it for myself. And yet, I can take the word of others because of how they responded to it. Because all of a sudden, we have like microwaves and aluminum foil and all these like inventions that came out of the moon landing. And I go, there's enough interesting consequence. I'm confident that we landed on the moon. Now, if you were to say to me, oh, you sheep, you lemming, you just believe anything the government tells you, you should mistrust the government, I, I would have something else to say to you. I would simply say this. So an institution full of faulty men and women who have less than great intentions, I should have a skeptical eye towards? Yes, great, I didn't need the moon landing to tell me that. That's native to who we should be. We should have a skeptical eye to any institution that is not Christ. We should look to things and understand they're faulty, they're messed up, because here's what Nathaniel does. He looks at Jesus and Jesus says, ah, this is a true Israelite. In him, there is nothing false. And he responds by saying, that's the Messiah. He didn't meet him before. He had no concept of him before. There wasn't, this isn't the second or third time they're meeting. And yet, whatever Christ said to him was said in such a way that Nathaniel is seen and exposed. He goes, I don't know who you are, but you see right through me. Maybe Nathaniel was known by that by his friends. Maybe he was known as a trustworthy honest person. I, have, I, I don't know. All I know is that when Christ said it to him, he goes, that man's the Messiah. Uh, I went over to Europe and, and took a bunch of DOD, Department of Defense kids, to a, a sports camp in Italy. And I had this very fun thing when I was in college. Uh, I thought it was fun. No one else thought it was fun. Um, but I would take the kids and I would come up with a camp persona that I would make for the trip. Um, I, it was a total lie. I just put on a, a like a, it was like a play all of a sudden. Uh, and I would have come up with a, a nickname and an accent. Um, now, this is the Department of Defense. These are a bunch of army kids. And I decided, for whatever wisdom I had at 20-year-old self, uh, that I was going to be called Tex from Texas, and I had an accent. I was from Denton, Texas. Uh, and I got, the, I got the twang into it and the whole thing. My name's Clinton. I, I used my full name at that point because it, it, it fit the persona. And I thought this was going to be good. I thought the whole week I could keep this up. And then I got on the bus with a bunch of army kids. I don't know if you know about demographics of Texas. A large majority of army families are from Texas. So I said, hey, I'm Texans from Denton. And within five minutes, they're like, oh, me too. Where'd you live? And I'm like, oh, no. Oh, my entire plan is gone. What do I do? 
See, they saw right through me. They saw right through me, and I was undone. Church, Jesus sees right through you. He knows who you are in totality. He knows your name and what you think you're known for. He knows your identity. He knows what you value. He sees right through you. The jig is up. It's like being on that bus with a whole bunch of army brats and being like, I can't keep this up, can I? And so I said to them, yeah, I'm from the West Coast. <laughs> My name's Clint. And they're like, what? <laughs> I was like, I know, I know, I thought it'd be fun. See, I could have tried to fake it, couldn't I? I could have come up with enough lies and enough baggage, and I could have hid behind camp counselor and leader and title and all that stuff. I could have. And I probably would have lasted because our native operating system is sin. Or I could have said, you've seen right through me. Church, when you look at Christ and he sees right through you, when you are exposed, do you ball up? Do you try to protect? Do you double down? Do you try to fight Christ Almighty, the Lamb of God, Messiah? Or do you say, that's the Messiah. He's no longer teacher, rabbi. He's no longer moral good guy. He's no longer feel-good story, cardigan and slippers. He's heaven, DNA incarnate. And actually, let me tell you why that's hopeful. Let me tell you why that's absolutely hopeful. Have you ever had the joy of being completely exposed for all of your horrible awfulness and somebody looks at you and says, I'll still be your friend? Have you ever been exposed to the point where you've been caught red-handed with something and instead of doubling down, instead of trying to get out of it, instead of doing what we all do, deny, 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 you just said, you had me dead to rights. And they go, I forgive you, let's move on. Now imagine that was from heaven itself. See, that's what Christ does. It's terrifying to be in Christ's presence. Do you know why? Church, he sees right through you. Uh, my wife jokes with me all the time, and my kids hate it as well. I have this, like, radar that goes up for I could see through people's intentions. And I'm like, okay, stop. Just stop, kid. They come up to me, they butter me. My children hate this because they try to get extra screen time. And they're like, Dad, if you give us 30 more minutes of screen time, here's what I'm going to do for you. And I'm like, nope. And they're like, Dad, it's a win-win for us. You get, I'm, I'm out of your hair, and you get like me to, I don't know, cook or clean or, or do chores. And I'm like, I try to tell my kids, I don't operate that way. I don't operate on contract. I don't operate on intentions. I operate on covenant. So if you want more screen time, you know what you should do? Just ask. I'll probably say no, but Ask. Hudson Cohen, I'm probably going to say no, but ask, because I see right through you in all the other ways. Sometimes I'm going to say yes, because it's fun to bless kids. Church, could you stop running from Christ, and could you stop fronting on him, and could you stop trying to impress him? He sees right through you. That should give you hope, because he's heaven incarnate that also says, you're far more seen than you ever wanted. You can't hide and you're far more accepted than you ever imagined. That's who this Jesus is. That's who this Son of God is. That's who this Lamb is. 
So church, who can access it? Nathaniel, who says, you've seen me, and I want you, and now I see you. I'm undone. Are you undone by Christ? Or do you kind of add little tidbits of his moral teaching? Stop adding tidbits of his moral teaching. Be completely accepted by the one who sees you. And if you are, if you feel seen, if you feel heard, the proper response is this. I got nothing for you, Christ. I can't hide. I can't lie. I can't deny. You got me. And he goes, I know. You're my kid. Of course I see you. That's the response. And then lastly, how can you change today personally? How can you leave here with this understanding? I want to encourage you with this. I, I just took a stab at this, but let's go a little bit more. I want you to meditate on this because it is Advent, because it is Christmas. I want you to meditate on how he came to earth once more. And I want to understand with this identity of DNA of heaven, angels ascending and descending on his personhood, not a moral teacher. And I want you to see this. He came dependent. He came, no, no one likes talking about this, but I don't realize he, he had to be fed by his mom. He had to have diapers changed. He probably had to cry in the middle of the night. I know as shocking as that is with little ones. He had to learn. And we go, wait a second, that's, wait a second, hold on, Christ had to learn? Yeah. I don't know exactly what that means, but I know he came completely dependent in human form. Now, that's what we know of the little babe wrapped in swaddling clothes in the manger. And we get that, we understand that. But can I retrace a little bit before he went down to earth, before he came down to earth? Imagine the conversation between God the Father and Christ, where God the Father says, hey Jesus, I want you to go to earth as a flesh bag, as a meat stick, and I want you to go down there and I want you to, to, to hang out with all these really weird people. And you're like, this is what Jesus could have said. Church, this is what Jesus could have said. I'm God. I'm equal with you. I'm part of the Trinity. What do you mean go to earth and die? He could have said that. But did he? No. He said, I will give up my deity. I will give up my position. I'll give up my office. I'll give up my title. I'll give up everything to come down and be with my people. See, church, the way in which we can personally have that today is if you and I stop running from who we really are, if we stop pretending we have title and offices, if we stop fronting, if we stop trying to impress him, trying to impress each other, and rather accept exactly what Jesus, exactly what Jesus did, he didn't keep title or office or deity. He has every right to say, I have angels at my command to be armies against Satan. I'm not going down in swaddling clothes, being nursed and changing my diaper. I'm not going to have anybody do that to me. And yet he did. Isn't that fascinating? Uh, I had a buddy. I, I took uh, guitar theory. And I had a buddy um, that I met there. His name's Pat. And uh, we, we had this class and there was various different talent levels in it. And uh, I met Pat and we started talking and chatting and, and I started playing the songs that we had to test every single week. And uh, Pat said, 
hey, can I practice with you? I was like, yeah, sure, man, let's, let's practice again. So we would practice, and I would, I would be showing Pat, and I'd be talking to Pat. I'd be like, hey, Pat, uh, here's how I'm practicing, here's how I'm going, here's this chord, here's this note, and, yada, and Pat was like, oh, thanks, oh, this is great, thank you so much, Clint, I appreciate that. I'm like, yeah, no problem. Went the whole semester of me teaching Pat how to play. We get to the end, and at the end, those who performed well on the test had an opportunity to uh, play with a professor. He was a, uh, or a teacher. Uh, he was a drummer, and he was a phenomenal drummer. He actually drummed in my uh, church back at home. And uh, uh, he welcomed us. We brought our amps. We brought everything. Last day of class, we were just going to jam. We were going to kind of impress. I was formulating who was going to play what. I was doing the timing and everything. And we start getting ready to play, and we open up, and it's, we're kind of vamping, and it's nice and slow. And then all of a sudden, I hear out of my ear this incredible solo starting to like come from Pat's guitar. And I'm like, what is going on? And I look over, and, and all of a sudden, Pat is facing the drummer. And for the next 30 minutes, I witnessed the most incredible guitar playing I've ever seen in my entire life. And I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, I turn to rhythm guitar. And I'm just like, OK, I'll just do a couple chords here. And I'll let Pat shine. And he blew it out of the water. And afterwards, I go, Pat, what were you doing all semester long? <laughs> you are so much more incredible than me. You are so much better than me. Why? And he said this. It was, he said, Clint, I like playing with you. So if whatever that was going to take, I was willing to do to play with you because I liked hanging out with you. I said, Pat, you're so much better than me. You should have been teaching me. He goes, yeah, I know. <laughs> Thanks, Pat. <laughs> and he said, but I didn't. I didn't care about that. I just cared about playing with you. Church, do you care about being right more than you care about being with Christ? Do you care more about fronting and keeping up pre uh, pretense? Do you care about your positions? Do you care about what you hold more than you do caring about community with the Christ Almighty, maker of heaven and earth? See, if you want access to the DNA of heaven, if you want access to the supernatural power in which angels are ascending and descending upon the Messiah, the Lamb of God, if you want access to that person, here's how not to get it. Don't impress him. You can't. Don't bring him gifts. He has heaven. Again, heaven. It's not based upon merit, what you do. It's not based upon how good you can be. It's not based upon the gifts you bring him. It's not based upon how great you can serve him. Church, some of us need to hear that again. Your service to Christ does not dictate your acceptance by him. Your acceptance by Christ dictates your service to him. It's completely inverted. Completely inverted. Your beliefs upon him don't get you accepted by him. Being accepted by him influences your beliefs about him. Do you see how that's inverted? Do you see how it's flipped? If you want the power of angels descending and ascending onto him, heavenly access, follow the way Christ did it. Don't hold on to who you are. Don't hold on to your beliefs. Don't hold on to your front. Don't hold on to your morality. Don't hold on to your accolades. Be like Pat, who just wanted to be with a friend. Access to Christ, the Lamb of God, is better than you being right. Take it every day, twice on Sundays. It's what Christ did. He took on sin so that we could be with him. He was made wrong so that we could become right. Do you see that, church? If you want access to heaven today, I encourage you, I beseech you, 
Are you willing to die to self to gain all of heaven? Are you willing to gain community if it means that you can't be right? Are you willing to have a friend more than hold an opinion? Are you willing to actually sacrifice in which you can actually receive life? And again, I'll tell you why, because Christ did it first. He's not asking you to do anything he didn't do himself. He came in swaddling clothes. Heaven Almighty, it should indicate to us when he sees us, when he exposes us, when he tells us who we are, our response is not to, not to flex up, but rather to open up and say, this is the Messiah. He sees me as I really am, and he accepts me. That's the hope we have stored in heaven for us that you can have access to today. There's a cost, dying to self. You don't have to die to self, church. Here's my final encouragement. You don't have to die to self. If you don't want to give up your opinions, you don't want to give up your beliefs, if you don't want to give up your thoughts, you don't have to. You don't. You don't get Christ's community with that because he is not somebody that says, oh, you can take part of me. It's all or nothing. Uh, we were just having uh, dinner with a, a couple from the church and they were saying about a friend that they have and this friend is all or nothing kind of person. And I was like, yes and amen. Give me that person all day long. With Christ, it's all of me or none of me, your choice. If it's all of him, he's gonna rearrange your house. He's gonna rearrange your life. Because do you know what he's actually doing in church? This is wild. When he comes incarnate with us, when he tabernacles with us, when he lives with us, do you know what Christ is doing when he re rearranges the furniture and the beliefs and the thoughts in your life? You might say, well, he's remaking me. Actually, he's not remaking, he is remaking you. But do you know why? He's making a castle for himself in you that he resides, that he comes to, that he lives in. When he's messing around and moving your furniture and he's messing around, he's changing your heart. When he's messing around and, and moving things around, he's not just doing it to play around. He's not just doing it because there's a new fad. He's not just doing it because some podcast told him to declutter. He's not doing that. He's doing it intentionally because he is preparing a place for him to reside in you. And if he's heaven, church, if he is heaven, you are not prepared for that heavenly DNA to reside in you. You must be remade in order for him to reside. You must. So when he incarnates, when he comes to us, when he's in swaddling clothes, it sounds cute and friendly and great until you realize, oh my goodness, this is a two-ton powerhouse sitting here, isn't it? Are you willing to have his, his arrangement? Are you willing to let him have access to all the doors that you keep locked? Give him the master key and say, have at it because this isn't my life anymore. It's your life and you're arranging my life to suit you, not the other way around. I pray that gives you hope. Why? Because it's Christ Messiah who doesn't do it forcibly, aggressively, or against you. He does it lovingly, patiently, and inviting you. Would you take that invitation today from him? The hope of heaven incarnate in Christ. Pray with me. Thanks for tuning in to this week's COTV Sermon Podcast. For more info or to connect with us, you can visit us online at cotv.life. God bless and have a great week.